Uh, turn with me tonight in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 22. Book of Proverbs, of course. The human pen man was Solomon. It's widely believed he wrote them in Middle Age. really say when we think about Proverbs, laws from heaven for life and earth, that would be a good description. Proverbs chapter 22, we're going to read the first 12 verses, and then we're going to read from verse 22 to the end. Proverbs chapter 22, verses 1 to 12, first of all. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And at loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed. For he giveth of his bread to the poor, cast out the scorner, and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. The eyes of the Lord preserve knowledge, and he overthroweth the words of the transgressor. Verse 22. Rob not the poor, because he is poor, neither oppress the afflicted in the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoil them. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Be not thou one of them that strike hands, or of them that are sureties for debt. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. Amen. We know the Lord will grant and stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is taken from Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28. It reads as follows, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And my theme tonight is simply entitled, Remove not the ancient landmark. 
Now you're well aware that this is an individual proverb spoken by Solomon, written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And therefore it stands alone. We don't need to examine the proverb before it or the proverb after it. This particular proverb is a sermon in its own right. And as I've already said, I believe these inspired proverbs are laws from heaven for the regulation of our lives on earth. They had particular application to Solomon and his family. They were spoken many times when he addressed his children. He would have said, my son. But they also have special application to us right up to the present time. Now I want to say a number of things about this theme tonight. Remove not the ancient landmark. And here's point number one. The subject of the landmark. Do you know that there's five references in the Holy Scriptures to do with the landmark? Deuteronomy 19 and 14. Deuteronomy 27, 17. Job 24 and 2. Here in Proverbs 22, verse 28. And then in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 10, we read, Remove not the old landmark. And enter not into the fields of the fatherless. Here's another extension of what we have read. Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set up. Now, now five in the Bible, according to Bullinger, is the number of grace. And I believe that the Lord, in a very gracious way, but yet in a very definite, moral way, has set forth the landmark. He put it in the heart of the fathers to set the landmark up. You see, the landmark, now listen to me carefully tonight, has to do with a physical boundary. It has to do with the marking of territory. You think of the tribes of Israel coming into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And there is in the book of Joshua the dividing of the land by lots. And if you read it very carefully, there's the mention there of particular boundaries to the north, the south, and the east, and the west of particular uh, of the 12 tribes. And if you look at your Bible, if you have a margin, the word landmark has to do with the word bound or the word boundary. It could easily read, remove not the ancient boundaries or the ancient bounds which thy fathers have set. Do you think of an individual family that has a number of fields and those fields would be marked by a particular boundary to identify that those fields belong to that particular family? You think of a farmer and he's got a thousand hectares you think of another farmer, a hundred hectares. Another farmer has ten hectares. And all that territory is marked out by a particular landmark. And you see, that landmark was a point of orientation. It, it, it was an actual location. In other words, it's mentioned here that they're described as being old. Remove not the old. Or remove not the ancient. You've got to think of the word old and ancient. You see, the landmark was of historical importance. 
Yes, it may have been a thing of beauty. It could have been a stone pillar. It might have been a pile of stones just set up by the fathers. It might have been an old tree. It might have been a particular uh, point in a cliff or something like that. But you would have known that you have reached a place of historical importance. And if you were leaving the territory, say, of one particular farmer or one particular tribe and passing into the territory of another, you would have to pass by the landmark. And you would know it's of historical importance. And you would know it as a thing of beauty in itself. Maybe if I put it this way, you're driving around Northern Ireland. And you're moving from county to county. Say you're driving out of County Antrim and you're going into County Londonderry. Well, you're going to see a sign. And what will the sign say? Welcome to County Londonderry. Or if you're crossing over the border into the Irish Republic, you'll see a sign, Welcome to County Louth. And you will know that you've left the territory of Northern Ireland and you've entered into the territory of the Republic of Ireland. You see, the landmark is of historical importance. It's old. It's a thing of beauty. And therefore we could say about the landmark tonight that it is venerable. In other words, it's to be highly regarded. It's to be respected for what it is. It's an old, ancient landmark. Now, one of the things God says about the landmark is this. Don't tamper with them. Don't remove them. Leave the landmarks alone. Now, if you turn over there in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy, and look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse uh, 14, this is what it says. This is the Lord God in the Old Testament governing the civil and religious life of God's people, governing even their moral life. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Deuteronomy 19, verse 14. In other words, leave the landmark where it is. Now, of course, it's hard to move a stone pillar, isn't it? It's hard to move a tree unless you uproot it and decide to replant it, which could be very difficult. But let's suppose you've got a boulder. Let's suppose you've got a big stone. Now, not like the big stone down in Rustraver, young people, but, but a stone that you could roll by yourself. You could even roll it a few feet. And if you did that, you could steal some of your neighbor's territory and you could have a bigger field. But the removal of that stone, even a few feet, five feet, ten feet, would be a sin. It would be a sign of greed. It would you behaving in a fraudulent way. It would be you guilty of the violation of the commandment that says, thou shalt not steal. You see, it's true that the landmark is venerable. But I want to tell you something else. I believe the landmark is also vulnerable. It can be removed. How do I know that? Because God says, remove not. And that's inference that it can be removed. And once the landmark is removed, the results are terrible. 
There's a source of contention between two families or two farmers or, or two tribes. And there's a big dispute. Their removal was forbidden. And the removal of the landmark was a sinful, selfish act. It was seen as an invasion of seizing your neighbor's property rights. It was unjust in the eyes of God. You were breaking the law of God. Now that was true in the land of Israel. So when they were dividing the land in the days of Joshua, the different tribes, they had a different portion of land allocated to them. And it was set by way of a bound. It was set by way of the landmark. Now you've got the picture. The landmark stood as a witness, as a memorial, as a testament of each country and each tribes and people's rights. And as I've said, by way of emphasis, the removal was forbidden. To remove the landmark was seen as a selfish, sinful act. It was an invasion of their property right. It was unjust in the eyes of God. And it was a source of individual provocation. It's a source of communal provocation. It's also a source of national provocation. You see, the landmark is not just a relic of the past. I want you to see this, that the landmark is part of the wise laws of God. And if the landmark's removed, it becomes a source of strife, division, and dissension. Now, I want to say this tonight. I believe in the separation of church and state. And yet I've been listening recently to John MacArthur in California explain about church and state. And he said, and I quote, the church should not be against pointing out a wrong or an evil that's been enforced on the national life of the country by a wicked, evil government. I have to say tonight, and I'm not bringing politics into this pulpit, I would refuse to do so, but because of this proverb, this is one of the reasons I am totally opposed and against the Northern Ireland Protocol. That protocol puts a border down the Irish Sea for trading purposes with the European Union. You've got to think of the origins of the protocol. Just ask yourself who's behind it. The EU and the Dublin government, parties in Northern Ireland, uh, who want to have it introduced, fully introduced. Why? What's their purpose? To undermine the links with the United Kingdom. To, to undermine the Union. That's the object. And it's to further the aim of a united Ireland. There's still the dream of uniting 32 counties. It's alive and well. And here's one of the objections to the protocol. As well as creating an all-Ireland economic unit that their hope that economic unity will lead to political unity, they have created instability in Northern Ireland. It's a grave threat to the political institutions. We're just after an election. And those institutions are not yet up and running. Why? Because of this thing to do with the protocol. So it's right to call it a cancer of foreign influence. 
and it's affecting the constitutional and economic affairs of our country. It has placed Northern Ireland into a foreign single market for goods. It has made that Northern Ireland is subject to a foreign custom code, a foreign VAT regime, a foreign law, law set by the European Parliament, subject to a foreign court, the Court of uh, European Justice. They have the final say. And I believe it's the first step. I, I believe it's the first step to the transfer of sovereignty. See, the protocol does bring about a constitutional change in the status of Northern Ireland. And it's happening before her eyes. And what can we do? Well, there has to be opposition to it. And I could say many things, but I'll say this. Let's pray to the God of our fathers. Let's call on the people to turn to God and to trust in him and to cry out for divine intervention in the land. Let's pray that it's never fully implemented. We're in a grace period because it has the potential of fully implemented to destroy the union of the United Kingdom as we know it. This is not a day for apathy. This is not a day for ambivalence. We need to unite. We need to have a common voice. We need to have a common strategy. And the object as we cry to God is, Lord, defeat the plans of the devil. Complete the plans of those who had engineered our destruction. And while we believe in the church, in the separation of church and state, the state has no right to interfere in the life of the church but we're not interfering in the life of the government. We're telling the government, as John MacArthur rightly says, where they're wrong and doing evil to its people under their command. So the landmark has to do with a physical boundary. But let me go very quickly. It has to do with a spiritual boundary. It's not just subject to physical boundaries. I want you to think with me of five things. Quickly, the landmark of Scripture. God has given us a special revelation of himself in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16, for all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I believe tonight that the Bible is divinely inspired by God. I believe in the inerrancy of the Bible. The Bible's free from error. I could talk of the infallibility, inerrancy of the Holy Scriptures. I believe in the authority of the Bible. Do you know that even our Westminster Confession of Faith, the Baptist Confession of Faith, the Savoy Declaration of Faith that the Congregational Church use, confessions that we subscribe to as a confession of our faith, do you know that they're subordinate to the Bible? They're not replacing the Bible. They're not above the Bible. They're not even beside the Bible. They're not inspired. They're not infallible. They're not authoritative in that sense. Only the Bible is. We have no other rule of faith that we're subject to. The scriptures alone. What does the Bible teach us about? Teaches about creation. Teaches about the fall into sin. Teaches about the law of God. Teaches us the story of redemption. Think of the deliverance of the children of Israel out of the house of bondage and under the rule of Pharaoh. A picture of the world. A picture of the devil. You think of the story about uh, um, the judgment of sin. Sin that necessitated the death of God's only begotten Son on a place called Calvary. A death by crucifixion, his bodily resurrection, his, his, his ascension, his, his glorification to heaven. 
Think about the application of that redemptive work, the miracle of the new birth, a full and free forever justification, the, the, the adoption into God's family, the, the call to a life of holiness in the process of sanctification. It's all in the book. And yet the Bible today is sidelined, marginalized, undermined, discredited. Doubt is cast in its authority, its sufficiency, its veracity. We're told it's not true, that it's full of errors. Do you know that there's a church in the United States, a Lutheran church? And it says this in the signboard outside. We take the Bible seriously, but not literally. What does that mean? Well, if you go into that church and say they were preaching on the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, you'd be told that the parting of the Red Sea was not a real parting. They were just walking through a shallow part. Or if you think of them, the 10th plague, uh, the, the, uh, one of the plagues turning the rivers into uh, rivers of blood, uh, that it wasn't real blood, that it was just Red soil that had been washed down in a flood from the mountains into the Nile, and it looked red. It looked uh, that, that it was real blood, but, but it wasn't real blood. Jesus walking in water? Uh, no, he, he was actually standing on a sandbank where it was shallow, and Peter sank at the end because he stepped off the edge of the sandbank. And these same people mocked the virgin birth, mocked the sinless life, the atoning death, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you talk about the law of Moses, they would laugh and mock. They would say, Moses didn't write the first five books of the Old Testament. Who did? Well, they come up with their own theory, their own opinion. And yet the Lord Jesus talked about Moses and the writings of Moses. You see, the Bible says this in Isaiah 8 and 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. And we're not to tamper with the book. Add to it, take away. Deuteronomy 4 and 2. Listen to these words. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And over in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 30, and in the verse 5, we read these words. Um, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and they be found a liar. And in the last book of the Bible, is it interesting that it's in three parts? Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto them the plagues that are written in this book. You see, for the past 70 years, in our day and generation, the devil has been very busy. And the devil has infiltrated the church and brought in false doctrine, new teaching, new ideas and concepts, things that are all foreign to the Bible, things that are in conflict with the Holy Scriptures, things that are actually replacing the teaching of the Word of God, the rash of new modern versions, the the new revelations and words of knowledge and words of tongues and and visions that, that have all come into the church of Jesus Christ these past 70 years. You see, who's at the back of it? The devil has introduced a number of new concepts, new ideas, and it's all been designed to destroy and damage the professing church of Christ. It's an attempt to change the face of the church, attempt to change the face of the gospel. Think of this, not only the landmark of Scripture, but what of the landmark of the Savior? 
Do you know one of the tests of a true Christian? You'll find it there in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 42. Remember the Savior asked this question. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? And one of the devil's master strokes in this progressive age is this. It's possible to have different ideas about the Lord Jesus. Talk of Christ. Who is he? But it's not the Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible. They don't believe in the incarnation. God manifest in the flesh. His virgin birth, his sinless life, his atoning death. They don't even believe he's David's greater son. They don't believe he's really the son of man. They have strange ideas, strange views about who he is. Is he the only begotten son of God? Is he the son of Mary, son of man, son of David? You see, they use the name Jesus Christ. And they talk of Jesus. And it's done in a clandestine way. It's done with a, a forked tongue, as the natives of North America would say. They have done a makeover job in Christ. They're presenting a counterfeit Christ, an imposter. And the devil again has been the back of it. And he's been very busy with men in the pulpit proclaiming and adopting these new ideas and these new concepts about Christ. What about the landmark of salvation? Here's the third one. It's possible not only to have different ideas about Jesus, you don't have to have him as Savior and Lord, Master and Friend, King, but it's possible to have a number of different ways to be saved. You see, men talk of different ways of getting them. I'm talking about church men. We're told all religions lead to God. Salvation's by the church. Salvation's by good works. All you have to be is come religious, give alms, offer prayers, be respectable and honest, be a good citizen, self-sacrifice, show love to your neighbor. You're, you're saving yourself. And yet the book says, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you ask some of these preachers, well, what about the heathen in Africa? How, how do they get to heaven? Is it exclusively by Christ that they've never heard of? And you're going to hear some strange, weird, and wonderful ideas about how they get to heaven. You see, the devil has introduced this counterfeit Christ. The devil's at the back of these new, different ways to be saved. The devil's at the back uh, uh, to uh, undermine the gospel, the gospel that's rooted in the grace of God. And I believe the devil has introduced this counterfeit Christ, this another gospel, uh, this um, gospel that's not really a gospel. It's another spirit behind it. And this is what the Apostle Paul said. Uh, listen to these words there in 2 Corinthians and in chapter 11. And he tells us there in the verse uh, 3, But I fear lest by any means as the servant beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. 
You see, there's a major influence today. There's a lot of false tolerance. And it's rooted in humanistic religion. And it's an attempt to remove the ancient landmark of God's salvation. Only one Lord Jesus Christ. Only one way to be saved. Only one true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very quickly. What about the landmark of sanctity? I want you to think as we wrap this up. Think of the sanctity of the Sabbath. See, I believe in Sabbath day observance. I could be part, which I'm not, of the Lord's Day Observance Society. Do you know that that's one of the oldest ancient landmarks that God set up? Do you know that the Sabbath observance was one of the earliest institutions set up by the Lord? Turn over there in your Bible to the book of Genesis. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 and 3. Now I want you to underline these words. It says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 2, And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. In other words, he made the seventh day a day of rest. And he sanctified that day. In other words, he fenced it off. You see, Sabbath ordinance is a creation ordinance. What are we commanded to do in the book of Exodus chapter 20? Think about the Ten Commandments, the fourth one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And it points back to creation. Why? Because God in creation established the Sabbath as a day of rest. And a careful reading allows for a change of the day. It's a day after the six days of work. The seventh day is a day of rest. I believe, of course, in the Christian Sabbath. And the child of God is not to tamper with that day. He's not to remove that as an ancient landmark. Because the law of God has never been repealed. The law of God in the Ten Commandments has never been set aside. And yet, what have we got in our United Kingdom? We have got shops open. The cinemas are showing films. There's recreational halls, swimming pools, parks, football. Why? Because the devil's at work. The devil's at the back of it. You see, the devil hates the Lord's day. He hates the worship of God. He hates the worship of the Lord Christ. And he's working against it. And it's infiltrated the evangelical reformed church. As if the fourth commandment has been done away with. Oh, we don't have ten, we only have nine. What about the fourth commandment? doesn't apply. I have heard that from so many professing evangelicals. And yet the Bible says, remember, recall to mind the Sabbath day. And it points us back to creation. It's a creation ordinance. It's the Lord's day. It's not a holiday. It's meant to be a holy day. And if you're in health and strength, I'm not talking about those that are sick, those that are unwell, but if you're in health and strength, your duty is to be in the house of God. The queen is setting this example. Every Sunday she's found in the house of God. Now she's accountable for who the preacher is and what she hears. But she's in the house of God. She's setting an example. We should, we should emulate that. We should encourage that. We need to get back to church attendance. Right across the board. It doesn't matter where they go on a Sunday. They have to choose before God. But they should go somewhere. Hear the word of God read. Hear the word of God preached. 
It's God's day, it's not my day. What about the sanctity of marriage? If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, read verses 12 through to 24. Marriage is a creation ordinance. God built a, a woman for man out of one rib. He didn't build her from the head so that she would rule. He didn't take a bone from the foot so that she could be trampled on. No, he took a bone from Adam's rib, Adam's side, so that Adam could love and cherish this woman. The institution of marriage, it took place by God. And over there in the book of Genesis, if I read it again in Genesis chapter 2, listen to the words here in, in closing. It says, and the rib which the Lord God hath taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now a bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You see, I hear today that there's nothing in the Bible that supports marriage. Well, that's wrong. The Lord Jesus spoke about marriage. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6. Look it up. Mark chapter 10, verses 5 to 9. The Lord Jesus believed in the institution of marriage of one man and one woman as created by God in the beginning. Therefore, the Bible is totally against, and so is the Lord Jesus Christ, same-sex marriage. And you see, marriage is one of the institutions that's under attack today. And that's why we've got an explosion of transgenderism in the LGBT community. And then added to the sanctity of marriage, you've got the sanctity of the family. And as the family is an institution, is it not under attack? You think of the evil of abortion, the murder of the little children unborn in the womb. You see, the devil's at the back of that. Because that violates God's command, thou shalt not kill. What about the landmark of separation? I believe in individual separation from a life of sin. The motto of the Christian is holiness unto the Lord. The Christian should hate sin, mourn sin, turn from sin. Say no to sin by the grace and help of God. But we also believe in ecclesiastical separation. There are movements abroad today. The ecumenical movement, the World Council of Churches, the Irish Council of Churches, the charismatic movement. And there's a push for greater church unity. Oh, the church must broaden its horizon, expand its limits, be wide enough to include all. Let's have a broad church, a church that accepts all and excludes none. But let's include all irrespective of who they believe or what they believe. And you see, it's all done in the name of scholarship, responsibility, inclusiveness. But it's led to apostasy. It's, it's led to religious downgrade. And, and it's contrary to the book that says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Think of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 17. There's a whole sermon there in separation. The landmark of separation. Just give me a few minutes. I want you to think, and this is really just the second point, but I'll just give you the skeleton. Think of the sacredness of the landmark. The Bible says, remove not the ancient landmarks which thy father has set up. You see, when we think of these spiritual landmarks, the scriptures, the savior, salvation, the sanctity of 
life, marriage, the Sabbath, the family, this doctrine of separation, these are landmarks set up by God. The fathers distinguished the boundary from one territory to another. And if these property ties were removed, and what is true physically can be happening spiritually. All that we have talked about tonight has been done under God. He he commanded it. He controls it. He he supervises it. It's all done under his eye, in his watch. And it calls for respect. It's sacred. It's important that we obey this injunction. Oh, let's see that these spiritual landmarks were set up under God. And I finish with this tonight. The standing by the landmark. Remove not. See, God's people need to stand up today. God's people need to speak out today. God's people need to sacrifice for the good and well-being of Christ and his cause. God's people need to remember they serve the Lord Christ. Because these landmarks are not to be removed. They're not to be tampered with. We live in a day when they're blind. When they should be magnified. And those who are guilty of fraudulent behavior, whether it's on a physical boundary or the spiritual boundary, that are operating in a clandestine way, then we have to stand up to them and speak out against it and sacrifice ourselves for them and serve the Lord Christ and tell them you're breaking the law of God. Churchmen sadly have tampered with the scriptures. Churchmen teach a different savior, preach a different way of salvation. Destroy the sanctity of institutions that God has set. You you think of the Church of Scotland's vote over same-sex marriage. What a shame for that church raised up under God. What about the doctrine of separation? We could add in the history of our own church. We could go right back to Reformation times. Think of the sacrifice of the martyrs. Shedding their blood for the cause of Christ. 16th century reformation. 1859 revival. The revival under Nicholson here in the 1920s. This building that was opened in 2018. And, and, and if you think of this as we finish. Out of turmoil and conflict. There have been those who have stood. Spoke up. Sacrificed themselves to serve the Lord Christ. To preserve and maintain what? The old past and the old truths. For the honor of God. I finish with this scripture tonight. I thank you for your patience. But listen to this final reference. Thus saith the Lord God. Stand ye in the ways. And see and ask for the old paths. Wherein is the good way. And walk therein. And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said. We will not walk therein. There has to be a standing. By these spiritual landmarks and I call you to stand with me I call you to speak with me as one voice so that we can unite and have unity among the people of God I I ask you to sacrifice yourself afresh I I ask you to, to give yourself to the service of Christ as you stand by the landmark and refuse to have them removed regardless of who wants to remove them remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set More could be said, but we'll leave it there and we trust and pray that God will bless his word and apply it to our hearts.